Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Deborah Ferrone, a law firm marketing advisor who served as the chief marketing officer for Cravath, Swain & Moore, and Debevoise & Plimpton. She is also the author of the new book, Best Practices in Law Firm Business Development and Marketing from Practicing Law Institute, which is based on more than 60 interviews with leading law firm leaders and marketers, general counsel, and innovators in the profession. Hi, Deborah. How are you? Hi, Ari. I'm fine. Nice to speak with you this morning. It's a privilege, and I'm looking forward to hearing about your new book. So tell us about your background and the genesis of best practices in law firm business development and marketing. My background is in many ways like yours. I've always loved working with professionals in professional services marketing. So I started at Ketchum working in both public relations and the communication side in their new business department and loved it working with clients like Citigroup and Aetna, but also consumer product companies like Hershey's, where we were trying to figure out how to promote the eating of chocolate bars while having a healthy lifestyle. And so that was fascinating. I really enjoyed doing it. And then left to go to Towers Watson, which was a great experience working with management consultants, but had always been intrigued by my work at Ketchum with one of my clients, which was Milbank Tweed. And so when law firms started to market, even though I was told by all of my friends and mentors not to go into it, I jumped at the chance to get involved and was hired by Devavoice as their first CMO and built their marketing department and then was hired by Cravath and worked to develop their marketing department as well and ran that. So I've really enjoyed it and had some great experiences. As far as the book, you know, there were really three reasons I ended up writing it. So when I think about it, the first was just there was so much going on and there is so much going on in this profession right now. We're in such a state of both opportunity and challenge and upheaval and disruption and all of those words that people are using these days. So it's just such an interesting time between the advent of AI and what's going on in-house at corporations. So that was really the first reason. It just felt like someone needed to write something about it to put it all into perspective. And I think the second reason was I had been a CMO at two incredible firms with probably a total of eight presiding partners. And it was time for me to do something different. I had been in-house and I had run these teams, but I had never been an outside advisor. I had always been the advisor on the inside. And so it was just a matter of good timing. And lastly, PLI came to me and said they really needed a book on legal marketing. And so that was really how the idea of best practices was born. And I've always been fascinated by what the best way of doing things is. And I don't think there's one particular answer to that, but it was really fun to investigate, to talk to different lawyers and law firms and CMOs and find out what those best practices are. So you spoke with more than 60 managing partners, in-house lawyers, chief marketing officers, and other leading experts. What were some of the most interesting discussions like? Oh, there were so many. I loved speaking with the heads of law firms because I found that so many of them were real visionaries. And I don't think all law firm leaders are that way, but I was able to find a number who I think follow that kind of characteristic. So Mitch Zulke at Oric was incredible. And hearing him talk about the creation of Oric Labs and innovation and what they're doing in that area was really exciting to hear about. And the fact that they really do 
set aside money to innovate. This is not a byproduct of uh, some short-term initiative, but something they're very serious about. Uh, Bob Gunderson, also on the West Coast. I think Gunderson Detmer is an incredible firm. And I love the fact that they're very focused on venture capital in that world, whether it's representing the VCs, and they're really the leader at that, or representing these innovative companies that will grow, that Gunderson will help them develop, raise money, and in many cases, go public. So those were just some of the fascinating law firm leaders. But of course, it was great to speak with others who are really thinking deeply about this. I think David Perla is a genius and his partner, Sanjay, who really led so much of this whole trend and the whole concept between law firms and outsourcing. I mean, that was very interesting. And Heidi Gardner at Harvard and speaking with her about collaboration was also just really a wonderful thing to do. I learned a lot from her. And so there were lots of people out there. Oh, one other is Natalie Loeb. I can't forget Natalie. Natalie is the go-to person for law firm leadership. And so anytime I had a question about how someone leads a firm or the best way to lead a marketing department. Natalie really was the person that I would speak to to get advice, and she was just a huge help with the book. What are some of the most impactful changes in the legal industry over the past few years that law firm leaders and marketers need to address? Well, a lot of this I've read about from your benchmarking reports, Ari. I think that there are lots of changes in legal financing that are going to change the way cases are brought from just a litigation standpoint. But I think the fact that clients are really in the driver's seat now, clients can curate what they want as far as handling their legal matters. They can either staff up in-house. And as we've seen from a lot of recent surveys within the last few months, that's one of the things that they plan to do is hire in-house great lawyers, maybe new lawyers, new graduates, rather than bringing things to an outside law firm. And then they have new technologies that they can use. And there are also different services out there. So I think the clients are really in the driver's seat. But what I do see firms doing, which I think is really interesting, they're either The firms that seem to be leading the way are either innovating, they're using technology, or they're thinking about developing new paradigms, like the Oryx, or like many of the Magic Circle firms, or like Allen and Overy, or they're staying very structured and saying, we are going to practice in just one, two, or three areas, and that's what we want to be known for. So if you speak to the people at Wilkinson Walsh, they are focused just on high-stakes litigation, and if you speak with them, they recruit people for that, they train people for that. That's what they're pitching their clients for because that's what they do. And I think those are the two directions that we'll see a lot of people kind of go into as a result of all these changes in the industry. But there's definitely a shift between external spend and internal spend and where the work is going. You emphasized innovative marketing in the book. Can you give us some examples of how firms are incorporating innovation into their marketing? Marketing has always been so involved in technology and technology has been involved in marketing. So I think it plays a huge role in how marketers actually do their job. And second of all, I think it plays a large role in how firms are serving their clients and delivering value. And that really is part of the marketing proposition because part of marketing obviously is the product and how the product is delivered. So, I mean, if you look at number one, there's so many innovations that are allowing all of us who are involved in marketing to do our jobs with better metrics 
metrics and tools, whether the tools are helping us aggregate a lot of data points, which we see coming together with things like one place or different services that will do that. We see that with the work that NetApp has done. You can kind of see how you can take information brought to you by news feeds and also pair it with CRM data and make life a lot easier. You can also pair that with accounting data. So I think just the aggregation of so many data points helps. And then there's the tracking of pipelines and there are tons of technologies now that are available for that. We used to have to maintain spreadsheets where we would have lists of potential clients and who was doing what. You really don't need to have that anymore because there are technologies that will do that that will also tweak partners when they need to follow up. So that helps. And then the technology of just getting the word out there, not a commercial for any products and just the ones that come to mind. I mean, I know Clearview Social does this and Passel does this. They are able to help firms share content through social media in a really easy, less expensive way. And they put that content sharing into the hands of the lawyer so the lawyer can customize it. So those things are all making marketing so much easier. We still need to ask, are these things really helping us with our end game? And the first thing firms need to do and practices need to do is be strategic. But these great tools are now in place that are making it much easier to get the word out. And then second of all, I think this whole idea that innovation is helping us how we serve our clients. And there's so many people out there who have written about this, but clients for the most part do not say that they're looking for innovation. They're saying that they want to control costs. They want a better product. They want it faster, cheaper. They're not saying use innovation. They're just asking for that better end product. And so I think the question that firms need to ask themselves, and David Perlis speaks in great terms about this, but are we able to produce our work in a way that's better, faster, and cheaper? And as firms, we really need to do that and look at innovative ways of doing that. What mistakes are law firms and professional services firms generally making when creating strategic and practice plans? I think it's great for firms to actually create these plans, and it's such a must that you need to have some kind of a plan, even if it's a one-page plan saying, this is what we want to accomplish this year, and here are our clients, and here's our vision to either grow our clients or to get new clients. Or in some cases, maybe it's to deassess clients and maybe no longer do work with them. But I think you need to have a target, especially in a day like today where things are so competitive with firms, and firms are getting better and better at how they market. It's so important not to waste a lawyer's time in having them market the wrong thing to the wrong person. And so I really do think that firms need to have plans. Having said that, there's some classic mistakes that they make. I've seen plans that are, I don't know, 10 pages long, 20 pages long for a particular practice area. And they're very hard to communicate within the practice. And although, yes, you may need that many pages of backup or that much data and backup, I think the mistake comes in that people spend so much time doing the analysis and the data to create a large plan. And then that goes into someone's drawer and is not seen for the rest of the year. So you need to have plans that have actionable dates in them where people kind of revisit where they are in those plans and you need to have milestones. The second mistake that I see them make, which is an easy one to understand why they make it, is to not involve other people in the firm. And I think when creating a plan, and I've worked with a number of clients on this, when they're building the plan, they need to involve the people they think will be affected 
the people who will be proponents of the plan, who will help push it out and get it done, but also the naysayers. Every firm has those partners, and I talk about this in the book, that are the naysayers that will find a problem with everything. I don't know why it's an archetype and every firm seems to have one, but I would involve that person or persons at the beginning and get their input so that you have a less of a chance of them blocking it later on. So I think getting the right people involved in that planning process is really key. And then lastly, making sure that you can really execute on it. And so that means having the right marketing staff, trusting the right marketing staff, being able to give over some control and really listen to the people who are advising you on marketing. And a great strategic plan for a firm or a great practice plan for a firm, I think will make the difference in what firms and what practices do well and which ones don't. I don't believe in happenstance anymore, not for law firms. Based on the best practices you describe in your book, how can law firms create a distinct brand in the current competitive climate? Brent is so interesting because I don't think it's just the website and I don't think it's just the look of the office when someone walks in. I think it really is something that, although it sounds ephemeral, I think you have to kind of look at all of your different audiences and you also have to figure out what it is you want to be known for. And those are really two different steps. And so it's important to, first of all, know what you want to be known for and know how you want to be known. Brands need to be authentic or else a firm will be found out. There are firms that want to be known as a family-friendly firm or have great policies for childcare, but then if you look a little bit deeper, there might be huge fault lines in that. And so I think you have to be careful about what you promote and be authentic. And so in deciding the brand, it's very important to really also, again, have a plan, you know, speak with your clients, speak with your new recruits, speak with your older partners and your younger partners, and really get a wide swath of agreement, get people to really build into what the brand is about and then to think about all the ways that gets out. And so if you think about the different constituents, and I tend to think about this in almost concentric circles, I think, okay, the first circle, the closest circle right in the center is the people who work within the law firm and that's the lawyers and the staff. And then as it goes out, you think about alumni and you think about recruits and you think about clients and you think about potential clients and recruiters and all these different vendors. And you have to really be aware of how you're marketing to all those people, whether it's the informal marketing of how they're greeted at the door of the firm when they come for a meeting, or it's the overt marketing of what your marketing materials look like. And I think you need to think about all those different groups and the different contexts in which they are working with you. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Deborah Ferrone, a law firm marketing advisor and the author of Best Practices in Law Firm Business Development and Marketing, which Practicing Law Institute recently released. Deborah, thanks so much and best of luck with your new book. Ari, thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.